0: Leviticus 19 and 20 condemned necromancy. What is that? Well, the Greek word nekros means dead, so necromancy is summoning the dead. It's also called divination, sorcery, and in modern times, dark magic. It is forbidden several times in the Bible, including the New Testament and the book of Galatians and the book of Acts, and is considered to be an abomination to God. Now, the reason for this is twofold. See, first, necromancy involves demons and open is the one who practices it to demonic attack. See, remember, Satan is trying to destroy us, so he's going to use demons to attack us. Secondly, necromancy does not rely on the Lord for information. You know, the Lord who promises to freely give wisdom to anyone who asks. And God wants to give us truth, while demons, well, they want to give us lies. But ultimately, the idea that the dead people's spirits can be contacted for information is just simply false. See, any contact with the dead is not really contact with our loved ones but rather it's simply contact with demonic spirits because those who die immediately go to heaven or hell heaven if they believed in jesus as their savior and hell if they do not so there really is no contact between the dead and the living therefore seeking the dead is simply unnecessary and as well very dangerous so there you go a little bit about necromancy and that's enough today for our historical minute
1: let us pray God, we love you desperately, and we thank you for Jesus. As we go through this Old Testament piece where there's a lot of law, Lord, sometimes we can get burdened down with the to-dos and the to-do this and all those different things, but we're reminded even in Leviticus, you share a, a way for your people to be forgiven, to be reconciled with you through the sacrifices. And today, how much easier is it through Jesus? Not that it was easy for Jesus, but... Father, today all you say is for us to look on your son, to believe in him, and we are forgiven and renewed and reconciled and strengthened in a way that allows us to live differently, and allows us in a way that allows us to look forward to heaven, in a way that reminds us continually that we are loved and forgiven by an amazing God. And so we thank you for Jesus today, and we pray it in his name and all God's people said. Alright, so we're in Leviticus, and my hope is in the next two or three weeks we'll be done with Leviticus. I mean, that's that's part of my prayer today. But we're going to pick up in chapter 20. And just again, for a little bit of perspective, it feels like I'm doing the same perspective thing over and over, but... God freed the people of Israel, right, from the land of Egypt. He claimed this people as his own. He says, I want you to be my people, and I am holy. And what does he say all the way through the whole thing? Because I am holy, I want you to be holy. I want you to be set apart. I want you to be different. I want you to be my people walking around in camp, walking around in, in the nation that I give to you, right? The, the, whole, the Canaan, the holy nation of Israel. It, walking around living as if I'm real and that I matter and that you care, right? All those things. And this is what it looks like. First, 17, 19 chapters of Leviticus, he says, this is what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like to be set apart. This is what it looks like to be holy. And he goes over and over and over that. Now, He talked a little bit about sacrifice in the beginning of Leviticus, and then he's gone through 17 through 19, and he's talked about a lot of things that are still part of the moral law today. Remember, I keep quoting Acts 15 verse 20, where it says, to abstain from things polluted by idols, to abstain from sexual immorality, to abstain eating meat with the lifeblood still in it, and to abstain from drinking blood. This was a command of the Jerusalem Council in the New Testament, commanding all the Gentile churches, right? You don't have to follow the sacrifices. Jesus fulfilled them. You don't have to follow the civil law. We don't no no longer have a nation of Israel, right? We have a, a, a nation of believers, but not a nation of Israel. Civil law is now gone. But we do want you to follow these four things, and these four things are all found in Leviticus seventeen through nineteen, actually through twenty. So we get to chapter 20, and it's kind of a rehearsal of some of the things that he's already talked about. But he's talking now to the nation of Israel. Before in chapter 17 through 19, he's talking to the would-be sinner. Don't do these things, he says. Now he's talking to the nation of Israel. He says, if this is found within your borders, this is what I want done. This is so evil, the stuff that we're going to be talking about in chapter 20, so evil that these are the reasons I am giving you the land of Canaan. They got corrupted by these things. I hate these things. These things will drive you away from me. Do not get caught up in them. Do not do them because it is for these reasons that I'm giving you this land. If you get caught up in these, we'll go on at the end of 20, if you get caught up in these, I will root you out from the land. Somebody once called these nation killers, and there's actually about, I think, 12 to 15 nation killers in the Bible. These things that we're going to go through today are the reasons God destroys nations, even today. So you won't find fiscal policy in it, right? Fiscal policy is probably important, but it's not one of the reasons God destroys nations. It has nothing to do with immigration, not, not in these pages. It has nothing to do with, with, with a whole assortment of things that we get excited about, national debt, all those different things. But it does have to do with sin. And it does have to do with the four things that we just talked about. And God says, it's for these reasons that I actually displace nations. This is what I get excited about, God says. These are the things that destroy your relationship with me. These are the things that are so evil. It's better just to rid the earth of them. So we begin in chapter 20. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Moloch shall surely be put to death. Moloch was a, a very popular uh, idol, uh, false god. I, I like the way Mike did the historical minute today. Whenever we talk about an idol or a false god, especially at this time, they were worshiping demons. That's what they were doing. Any perceived power any perceived stuff that they got from worshiping these things, were, were, it, it, was, it was from demonic, uh, a, a, a demonic base. And so anyway, Moloch was one of these, thing, one of these guys of, of the local lands. And, and what he would ask you to do is he would ask you to sacrifice your kids. And if you sacrificed your kids, he'd so often send rain and have your crops. He'd also have a lot of temple prostitutes. And if I guess if you did that, it would remind them, hey, should send rain, you know, whatever. They came up with all sorts of things that were part of this worship. But one of the, the most grotesque things was the sacrificing of the kids. And again, if you listen to Mike's historical minute last week, he he would have hands oftentimes on these statues of Moloch. And they would heat inside. They would heat it to just incredible degrees. And when they would put the kids across the hands, the kids would literally burn to death. Something that God hated. And he says if any of the people give any of their children to Moloch, they shall surely be put to death. In other words, if you find this practice... Amongst anybody in your borders, you need to rid the earth of that evil. And then he says this. He says, I myself will set my face against the man and cut him off from his people. In other words, I am so serious about this. This so incenses me that I will personally pursue this man to his harm. Because he has given one of his children to Moloch to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And then he goes on, just to kind of emphasize how seriously he talks about this. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to the man when he gives one of his children to Moloch, in other words, they see what he's done, but they don't really want to kill him, right? I mean, that's, that seems pretty harsh, right? They don't really want to get to the point where they kill him. And by the way, when we're talking about the death penalty, it was usually by stoning. And it wasn't just the leaders or the judges that would get up and use the stones. It was everybody in the community, now have that put, kind of put that in your mind for a second. If God gave the death penalty to any of these sins, it wasn't just the leaders that you can blame, right? The whole community had to pick up rocks and rid the earth of them. What if it was your kid that did this? You were to love the Lord more than even your own child and you were to display justice. Justice. See, it was their clans. It was was their tribes that would pick up the rocks. It was the people in their own community. They were called on, whenever they give the death penalty, to say, God, we love you most, right? We love you more than even our own kin. We hate the evil that they did, just like you do, and we're ready to give justice. So it gives a little perspective to why Maybe a people of the land would, might close their eyes. But if they would close their eyes to the man when he gives one of his children to Moloch and, and not put him to death, then God says, I will set my face against the man and against his clan and will cut them off from among the people. In other words, if you don't dispense this justice according to what I have shared, I will pursue you to your harm until you are destroyed. Unless you think God wouldn't do this, in Joshua, which we're not quite there yet, they went into the land of Israel and they just had this incredible victory in Jericho and they go to this little city of A, right? And then God says, do these things. Don't take any of the things, completely destroyed. Don't take any of the stuff. Well, this little guy, he took some of the stuff and he buried it right before they got to A from Jericho. He wasn't supposed to take any, but he did. And he buried it and, 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 and nobody else did, but he did. So when they went to this little bitty city of A, They were routed. The nation of Israel against this little town of like 500 to 1,000 men was routed and they were kind of freaked out about the whole thing. They thought, how in the world could we lose to these people? It doesn't make any sense. God must not be for us. They went the second day, routed again, and finally they thought, we should ask God, what's going on? And God said, somebody sinned. And they drew lots until they found this guy. And Joshua says, give glory to God and tell us what you have done. And he said, I took some of the devoted things, things that you said not to take. And that's why God had given them over to the people of A, two days straight. God punished the whole community because they had not rooted out the sin. So they all picked up rocks and they destroyed the young man and his family. And then God gave them victory after that. So seriously does God take this that he doesn't just want it to be a command from God so that we can blame God. He doesn't want it just to be a command from the judges or, or, or from the leaders so that we can blame the leaders. It's we're all in on this. We all have the stone in our hand. We all dispense the justice. God says, that's how seriously I want you to take evil. Do we take evil that seriously today? <laughs> no. No. No, and the reason you can tell is, I mean, we watch all sorts of stuff on TV that's probably, you'd probably call it evil, right? And the reason I know that, and I'll give you an example that, I love the movie Anger Management. And I didn't, I just loved it. It was funny to me. I love Adam Sandler, all those things. So Beth and I are just married, And I have this movie because, you know, I bought it because I was so excited about it. And her family comes over to our house for the first time. So I'm sitting with my in-laws, right? And they know I'm a pastor because their daughter just married a pastor. And so I'm sitting there and we're watching Anger Management. And you know what occurred to me for the first time ever? There's a lot of swearing in this movie. Boy, there's a lot of sexual innuendo in this movie. Boy, am I uncomfortable right now. (laughs) We so desensitize ourselves to all sorts of stuff. Again, when we become a parent, all of a sudden, all the stuff that you used to watch, you're like, boy, there's a lot of stuff our kids shouldn't see. And yet we somehow explain to ourselves that it's okay if we see it because we become hardened to stuff. God hates evil. Do we get that as we're going through this? He hates it because he knows it's a destroyer. It destroys life. It destroys faith. It keeps you out of heaven. God hates it. And this was his holy people. This is the group that's supposed to be set apart. This is the group that's supposed to be taking this stuff seriously. And so he says, I want you all in. And this particular sin, a sin of giving your child and sacrificing over to an idol, I, I, I think it's stuff that, that continues today. I've alluded to the fact that abortion is sacrificing to the goddess self. And it still happens in mass today. It's actually getting better though. Only 700,000 kids were were aborted in America this year instead of over a million. So yay us, I guess. Still a lot of kids though, isn't it? And the difference between this time and now is that God's call to his community is not to kill the evildoer. It's to confront them in love. But if they're sorry... It's to wrap them up in your arms and remind them that Jesus loves them. Remind them that Jesus died even for that. Remind them that there is forgiveness. Because even these things that are done through here that God commands, it's better if the world is rid of them because of the evil. God today, because of Jesus, says, I love you. If you're sorry, I forgive you. And you're reconciled with me and you're reconciled with the Father because you can't out the grace of God. So there's a difference today because of Jesus. It's not the one and done, right? There's still temporal consequences to some of these dumb things today. There's still things that, that complicate your life, that cause you pain, that cause uh, destruction in your life. But it's not the immediate death penalty because God gives, God is a God of the second chance through Jesus. And as long as you're breathing, you have a second chance in the Lord. All right, so he hates this. Encourage you guys. Um, Many of the things we're going to be talking about today are very countercultural to what's going on in America today. In America today, we fully support idolatry, and we fully support abortion, and we fully support all the sexual stuff that we're going to be talking about today. All these things that God is saying, is saying, I hate these things. And all the things that are going on in America today, I hate these things. And all the things in America today are the reasons I displace nations. He goes on and he says, If a person turns to mediums and necromancy, and Mike talked about that whoring after them, God will use words like that because he pictures the relationship between him and Israel as a man and his wife, as a marriage unit, right? And if you're going after another God, right? Instead of God, you're going after another God. It's like going after another person in your marriage. It's like committing adultery. And we call that whoring. And so he says, if a person is caught up in mediums and necromancy whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and I will cut him off from his people. Again, this whole idea of, of calling the psychic hotline or, or going to seances. I mean, seances were even on I Love Lucy, okay? I mean, I, I mean, you got this stuff going way back. Um, going to fortune tellers, reading astrology, uh, um, doing anything where you can try to gain hold of the future getting some kind of picture of what's going to happen, anytime you're going to something else other than God, you know you're doing it wrong. And you know you're not pursuing God as you're doing these things, but you're pursuing the wisdom of demons. That's the reality. It's all part of the occult. It's been called part of the occult for years, and yet our culture today, man, they glorify this. God says, I hate it it's leading people away from me it's leading people astray there's a guy in my church my last church in texas and and he was he was a new christian he was coming and he was learning and he was growing but he said this he came into my office he was all messed up he was like i don't know what i'm gonna do pastor i don't don't know what i'm gonna do and i said what what happened and he says my my fortune teller is going on vacation Right? This person that I go to here on a weekly basis is going on vacation, and I don't know how I'm going to survive the next two weeks without that word. It's actually a, a beautiful, wonderful opportunity for me to share about the love of God, right? An idea of trusting our Lord who loves us so much, the idea of the grace that's found in Jesus, and then also to explain that what he was doing was not seeking God's wisdom, but something else. But our culture today, you get so caught up in these things and yet God says, I hate it so much that I will set my face against this person and, and, and pursue them to their harm. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, makes you holy through the sacrifices that we do for anyone who, and then he goes on to another one. For anyone who curses his father and his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father and his mother, his blood be upon him. Okay. So one of the themes that you'll see in all these things is God hates anything that destroys family. He's the biggest family fan, right? He created it in the the first place. Anything that destroys the family order is bad for society because this is the unit that God set up for our blessing, for our growth. And we do it wrong a lot in America and there's always forgiveness for when we do it wrong and there's always strengthening and there's always hope that God can give for those that are being hurt by it. God grieves over the pain that it's caused in our society and in individual lives. But anything that harms the family, you'll see that God hates a lot. Even to the point where if your kid gets a little mouthy and starts going after you, I heard about an instance where a teenage boy hit his mom. Is that crossing the line? Seems like it's crossing the line. Maybe back in the day, kids would get in fights with their dad, you know, boys and their dads or something, and dad was just trying to put it back in his place. I see that as something different. But striking your mom seems a little off, right? There's a lot of kids today that haven't been raised with parents. They've been raised by friends or People that kind of put up with them rather than care enough about them to tell them right from wrong. Pamela every year tells me that there's a new preschool family that's come in that hasn't disciplined their kids yet. They're three, four years old, right, in some cases. Haven't said no to their kids yet. Anybody want those kids when they get a little bit older? It's going to be a mess. Now, this was known to everybody. And so for a kid to do this, he would be going against a lot of convention in his day. He'd be knowing he was doing something of the utmost wrong. He was going against the authority that God has put in place. The two people that he had put there to raise this kid for his benefit. God says, when that happens, he's cursed his father, his mother, his blood be upon him. And this is the way it happens. The first people to pick up the rocks were, guess who? Mom and dad. God says, do you love me more? Do you see that? In obedience, that's the biggest question. Anytime we're tempted to do something else, it's because we're tempted to love something more than we love God, right? And so this whole idea, do you love me most, is a tricky question when it comes to other things that we love a lot. Now, maybe it's not this issue, but are there areas in your life where you're tempted to love your kids more or your spouse more or your friends more than you do God and his truth? I think a way that you can tell that is if you know God's truth and you know they're going a different way, do you talk to them about it? Do you try to do anything to help them get to heaven? Right? Do you try to warn them that they're complicating that stuff? Do you try to warn them that there's a better way? Do you try to share anything in love because you want them in heaven because you love them or at least you say you love them, right? Are you doing anything to help them be with you for eternity or are you just kind of watching the Titanic and waving from the sides I value this more than getting involved at least for the temporary I value this more I love myself more than having these hard conversations because I don't want to I don't want to be involved I don't want to have a hard conversation I don't want to risk losing anything and so complicate my friendships are you doing anything to try to get him to heaven if you say you love them. It's a hard thing, but when we go through this stuff, that's what he was calling this nation of Israel to do. When there's evil amongst you, and it's the type that I talk about in this section, he says, I need you to love me more because what they're doing is harmful to the whole society. It will cause many to fall. And you can understand how if you're going against mom and dad, even at a young age, That probably doesn't bode well for the future, the kid who hit his mom. And he prays something changes. Otherwise he's going to be in prison shortly because he can't restrain his anger. He goes on and continues on to some, some of the sexual culture of today. If a man commits adultery with, his wife, uh, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. You think that would minimize the number of uh, affairs that we have going on today? It would, it would get nip it up pretty quickly, right? There would be no two-time offenders. It would just be the one time. Both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. He's saying, I hate adultery. It destroys the key part of that family unit, the mom and the dad. It brings pain upon the kids. It brings pain upon the spouses. It brings pain, pain, pain. Anybody who through divorce, they can tell you it is a horrible thing that they wouldn't wish on anybody. If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood be upon them. So he's talking about uh, laying with your... Uh, dad's new wife, I guess. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood be upon them. In other words, he's talking about specific incest issues here. You messed with dad's wife. You messed with your kid's spouse. What are you doing? You're destroying the family. God says, I hate that. We've got to stop it. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. In other words, I hate that. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood be upon them. So is, so far as we've gone through Leviticus, does there seem to be any wiggle room on how God views homosexuality? No, I mean, he's super clear. He said, I hate it, I abhor it, I detest it. Now he's saying it's one of the nation killers. When this becomes popular in your nation, when this is going on in your nation, it's one of the things I hate, so much so that I want you to root it out, along with adultery, along with incest, along with all these different things. Because again, it destroys family. They've been doing studies now for a little bit on uh, homosexual couples. and, And one of the most tragic things is the pure loneliness as those couples get older or the people get older. Because the reality with the guy relationships is they kind of spin through one after the other after the other. They have a hard time finding that fidelity. They have a hard time remaining faithful and with the gals, they fight so much, right? It's just the way we're wired, we're wired differently. There's so much infighting, so much bitterness, so much anger that it just creates this unhealth and it's created some of the divide amongst those couples as well. The intense loneliness is just palatable. And unless they've adopted, they're all alone as they get older. This is one of the many things. There's actually support groups for kids now who have been raised in that, that kind of environment too because they were missing out on the other mom or dad, right? On the other sex that is a key component to us being raised healthily in the way that God designed from the very beginning. But but I'll just share it, very countercultural, but does God seem like he has any kind of wiggle room on this? Is it confusing at all so far? And it's not just in the old, it's in the new. Romans 1, if you ever want to kind of just have the clearest kind of picture of how God views this. But I just share that because in our world today, there is this temptation even amongst churches to say uh, fresh new winds blowing in. All this stuff that you read in Leviticus, you know, that's so Old Testament. You know, it doesn't apply anymore, right? Jesus didn't say it. Problem is, it just goes against God's word. Six places in scripture, two in the, or three in the new, three in the old, God very clearly shares his opinion on the rightness and wrongness of some of the things going on in our society today. In verse 14, if a man takes a woman and her mother also it is depravity. He and they shall be burned with fire that there may be no more depravity among you. See, this is a little different one. I guess this is because of bigamy was was still popular back in the day, but is there any wisdom in marrying your wife and her mother? Is there any wisdom in that at all? No, it destroys families. It shouldn't even have to be in here, but apparently it was. And, and it was such a perversion, so dumb, I guess. God says, not only are you to rid this, I just want you to burn it up. A little different than the stoning. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and he shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, he shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death, their blood be upon them. Again, it doesn't even seem like this should be in there, but it is. It was one of the things that were going around in, in the land of Canaan and, and the and lands that surrounded Israel. It was still one of popular enough, right, where God felt like he needed to do address it as one of the things that he hates, one of the perversions. If a man takes a sister, a daughter of his father or da- or a daughter of his mother and sees her nakedness and sees her his nakedness, it is a disgrace. They shall be cut off in the sight of, of the children of their people. More incest. He's uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his iniquity. And stop just talking about seeing each other naked. It's, about, it's a euphemism for having uh, um, of sex. If a man lies with a woman during mit, her menstrual period and uncovers her nakedness, he has made naked her fountain, and she has uncovered the fountain of blood. Both of them shall be cut off from the people. Usually that means death, death. Um, I read one commentary where in this case, it wasn't explicitly death. It could have just been they were removed, they were cast out, um, kind of exiled. But the reality is that this has more to do with the blood, doesn't it? I don't want you to treat it as if it's nothing. I want you to treat it with respect. Remember when, when the wives would have kids, right? They would have to spend a certain amount of time healing before they could go in. They could go to the temple to have their, have their kid blessed, right? And, and so it was just one of those things. Um... Both uh, 19, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister uh, or of your father's sister. He goes on to some more incest. Verse 21, if a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. Uh, they shall also be dead, as in the prior things. Um, but all these things kind of attack our sexual culture today, some more than others. Some, we, we just pray stay very far away from how messed up we are currently. Um, but, but what's interesting is on the incest one, is there's actually um, reputable, I'll call them reputable, um, powerful uh, organizations in, in the world of psychology that are actually pushing for the normalcy of incest and pedophilia right now, just to kind of disturb you, especially the pedophilia one, saying this is just a natural expression of the way that they're wired, this is just should be normalized, right, is what they're, is what they're encouraging. And that should be very disturbing to us in our culture today. Just as we've seen it kind of get further and further along, away from God's desire of protecting family, it continues to hit some of the, the greatest hits in this chapter. He goes on let me address some questions before I go on verse twenty two. How did the following of Moloch grow or stay alive if the parents continued to sacrifice their kids? No children would be able to grow to continue out the horrible belief. So how did they continue? The same way abortion continues today. They obviously didn't kill all the kids, mainly because children were a blessing at that time for the most part. If you were in the fields, you wanted more workers, more helpers. Daughters were less valuable than sons, right? Because the sons grew up to be strong and and all those different kinds of things. It was also a patriarchal society and most of the inheritance went through the the elder a son. But the reality is kids were a blessing and they helped out at home. And the more kids that you had, the more revered you were as a mom. It's one of your status symbols. I have eight sons. Oh, you were like Mrs. Popular. Everybody wanted to be you. It was incredible, you know. If you had a lot of kids, it was a sign of blessing by God. People actually strove to have as many kids as they could. It wasn't one of those things that you were just getting rid of them. But throughout the centuries, for different reasons, People don't want their kids. And so there's always a segment, it seems, that try to dispose of them in different ways, and God hates that. Moloch was a very popular God in the surrounding areas. Um, in, 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 unless, and so I'll just share this. We are affected by what the people do around us. Do we get that? If you watch a certain show because you love it, it's funny or whatever, and it has a lot of swearing, but you watch it religiously every day, every day, every day, eventually you'll start finding that stuff coming out as you're talking to people. You get so desensitized to it, so familiar with it that you just begin to do it. It's just one of those things. Garbage in, garbage out. And especially if you don't say that what I'm listening to is sinful, then there's no even barrier to say, well, I shouldn't be listening to this or I shouldn't be doing this. It's just, it's a natural outflow. What the nations do around us eventually does have impact as we intermix with them. As the world has become this one big, you know, massive stuff, right? We get exposed to a lot of different practices, a lot of different beliefs, and it becomes normalized. You have media normalizing other things, some of which we just talked about today, to the point where it doesn't seem so weird, so different. And so we get caught up in it. And for this reason, they gave the land of Canaan into the hands of the Israelites. God will say later, as we finish up chapter 20, that if you guys get caught up in these things, I'll give you the boot as well. And give your land to somebody else. Why did he go straight to, the, to a punishment of death? Was it to rid the, uh, the earth of evil? Why couldn't uh, you be forgiven back then? Well, as we went through the sacrifices, remember, they were always for unintentional sins, right? Um, in other words, not premeditated. Stuff that you get caught up in the moment and you do and you're like, ah, I wish I wouldn't have done that. You go and you sacrifice to God and you were forgiven. Unintentional all the way through. There was a few intentional sins that the burnt offering was good for. stealing and some other things like that. Um, and then there was that day of atonement, which was kind of an overall covering and, and that forgave some other things. But for these things that were listed... I'm just saying these are so bad, so dangerous, if you can understand, dangerous, that they lead people away from me. That's what makes them evil. Ultimately, idolatry and sexual um, experimentation and, and the such, um, I don't understand the blood one as much, but those two things, certainly, they cause you to love this rather than God. They lead people astray, and the more and more normalized it becomes, the more and more people it impacts until it destroys a culture. The Canaanites just witnessed that. And so yes, it was to rid the earth of that evil so that nobody else would be affected so that they would see very clearly this is something God hates as you stood there with the rock in your hand proclaiming God's justice and goodness. If speaking with the dead doesn't work, what if the deal with Saul, what is the deal with Saul's conversion in, with Matt, with conversation with Matt Samuel in 1 Samuel 28? Even if God provides Samuel's spirit, and not the medium, that is still a narrative account of an anointed king of Israel conversing with the deceased spirit. Can such acts still be possible and just evil rather than simply impossible? Uh, Whenever you're conversing with the demonic, it is absolutely real. Right? You get the sense that in that conversation with Samuel that Either it was a a demonic spirit that was talking, using what he knew of Samuel, or God allowed in that instance for Samuel actually to be risen from the dead and converse with Saul. So I'm not saying that God won't allow it at times, but it was to proclaim his death. I don't know if you want those guys appearing, if that's the kind of message he's going to share, right? And sure enough, Saul went to his death. So th- I would just share that uh, window. When you, The reason people do it, do seances, try to reach people for the dead, is because they do contact something. There are stories, amazing stories of even the Ouija board, of contacting spirits. There's a lot of roots into this dark, dark occultic world. And, and there's, people wouldn't do it if there wasn't a perceived power, if there wasn't a, a perceived something that they were engaging with. The only problem is that it's very, very dangerous because Satan hates you. What in your mind are you doing, if you can just take a step back, trying to connect with the one that has vowed to destroy you and hates you more than anything, and yet because it's exciting or weird or different, or because we perceive some kind of truth coming from its words, I mean, the demons can guess as well as anybody. They see more than we do. But it's a very dangerous thing to be. And so I just say, connecting with the demonic is very real. God says, avoid it at all costs. Why do you think they worshipped idols? Because they had experiences with the demonic. It's just the way it is. And and, and people don't usually talk about this, but it's very real. Um, And in fact, the Catholic Church in the last, I think it's seven years now, they, they have made a mad push worldwide to get as many people as they can, as many priests as they can trained in exorcisms. They're doing conferences every single year, sometimes multiple times a year, getting these guys trained because they've had an onslaught of experience of the demonic in their parishes all across the world. And and sadly, in the Lutheran church, we don't know how to deal with it, right? So we, uh, there was, you know, remember the movie The Exorcism? Actually, a LCMS family went to their LCMS pastor, and he was like, I'm out of my depth, so they went to seminary, and they had all these guys at seminary try to cast it out, and they, were, they failed. And so they went to the, next, to the nearby Catholic, I think it was, I don't know, Catholic church or something like that They had a, an exorcism program, and that's where they finally got that demon exorcised from the kid. Anyway, very real stuff. We are supposed to hate the sin but love the sinner. How should you go about showing compassion and love to the LGBTQ plus community? Great question. All right, so all the stuff that we've talked about today um, just shares with you God's perspective on it, God's will, God's truth. These things are sinful and as such dangerous, destructive, and will have consequence in your life. In our world today, Jesus is a Because of Jesus, we have a God of the second chance. And there's no sin out there that Jesus can't forgive, right? So we are to love this community. God doesn't call us to judge those that don't believe in Jesus, right? Inside the church, he's called us to to judge in this way, that in love and in compassion, and because we're worried about the direction of somebody's life, we warn them, right? Guys, you're, you're, you're messing with fire here. You're playing with fire. We don't want you to get lost from heaven. Repent and be refound by God and let his arms wrap around you and forgive you and renew you and give you a new beginning. So inside the church, we're called to warn people in love, in care, because we don't want to see them lost, right? that's, That's our call. Outside the church, we're to love them. Not okay what they're doing, but love them. And as they ask questions, we're to share about Jesus and his love for them, and his care for them, and the fact that there's forgiveness for them. We're to love the sinner but hate the sin. Okay, parents, do your kids ever do stuff that you hate? Yes, yes, that's the answer. Do you still love them? Yes, yes, you do. Do you tell them that what you hate is okay? Not if you're a good parent. You discipline them or whatever, right? So with people outside of that, because we have that framework, we can love people even while we're trying to warn some of them. Again, uh, think about um, a friend, or whoever's in your life that's on your mind right now. And you love them, right? I mean, you care about them. Do you wanna see them in heaven? Yeah, we, we do. What's the only way to heaven? Jesus. And why did Jesus come? To forgive us for our sins the things that are separating us from God, the things that are complicating our lives, the things that we're doing that he hates, and he just, he made it so easy. He just says, come to me and repent and be forgiven. So with these people in our life that we love and that we cherish, We've got to figure out a way to stop waving at them as they're going down on the Titanic, right? We've got to stop doing that and figure out a way to engage them in a conversation about Jesus, not beating them over the head with their sin, but sharing with them that Jesus loves them and that Jesus sometimes, I mean, always has a better way. The, 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 the truism about sin is that it always brings negative consequence. So if somebody in your life is pursuing sin, and all of us have people in our life that are pursuing sin no matter where it is, right? The, the promise is it will always complicate your life. And as it complicates your life, it opens the ears because it's painful when your life gets complicated. And in those painful moments, all of a sudden they can hear sometimes a little differently. There is no sin that you could name that I haven't seen somebody turn from and refine the Lord, Right? Well, maybe some of these. I, I haven't talked to anybody about some of these. But, but, but in general, right? Okay? I've seen people turn from the most incredible things, refine themselves in Jesus, re-experience his forgiveness and love, and transform their lives into something new and better. We are called to love people into the kingdom. That needs to be your reference point. I need to figure out a way to love you into the kingdom, and right now, whoo, you're over here, and I don't know how to get you, so I'm going to keep throwing out stuff. Until we have, can have a real conversation about something that you need to hear. I, I'll give you a quick example that I know I'm going over. So my best friend Mike that I talk about a whole bunch, since middle school I've been talking to him about Jesus, right? So it's baked into our relationship. I can literally say anything to him about Jesus and he's going to take it, Right? And he's going to think about it half the time. And here's the deal. We are still friends. I don't know how many years later. It's a lot of years later, right? He still calls me all the time. asks me advice. Ask me what God says. You know, all sorts of things. Knowing that every time he talks to me, there's a good chance I'm going to talk about Jesus. And I'm going to talk about heaven. And I'm going to talk about, you know, when is he going to finally give up your pride and just receive him as your Lord? There's a real good chance that that comes up in a conversation. And he still calls me. My encouragement to you is somehow in your relationships, especially with the people that you love and care for, that you bake it into the bread of that relationship. My grandma, again, I love her to death. Well, she's in heaven now. But she had no tact toward the end, right? But the reality is that she could say anything to the people that she loved and we would hear it, okay? She baked it into the bread of every single relationship that she had so that she could say all sorts of stuff about the Lord that nobody else was allowed to say. And God used it. Figure out a way to bake it into the bread of your relationship so that if you have a kid that goes off the deep end in this area, that part of your relationship with them, they know you're Christian already. So stop being disingenuous and bake it into that relationship saying, I'm worried about you. How are you doing? I love you so much. I'm here for you. But I'm worried about you. Because aren't you? Stop being disingenuous and hiding that part of who you are. Bake it into the bread of the relationship, and I promise you, as you do, you will find loving ways to talk about some of the most difficult things that you can imagine. Life has happened to my buddy Mike and has given me so many opportunities to show them that God's got a better way, to show them that, him, that God loves them, to show them that God cares, and he's been impacted by it. Still being stubborn, but he's been impacted by it figure out ways to bake it in the bread, and then this question no longer is, is a bugaboo, right? It's, it's something that you can just naturally do in the course of your relationship. But just stop waving at them as they're going down on the Titanic because you want them in heaven. Anyway, that's my encouragement today. Let me pray. God, we love you so much, and we uh, thank you, I guess, I guess for your wisdom in this, for the perspective that you give us on what you think is good and what you think is evil. Father, as we go through this, we are grateful that we don't live in this time, I think, because the consequence for some of our blunders, for some of our sin are quite substantial. Maybe it's because of that that we don't always take you seriously, but the reality is that we are so thankful today for Jesus. Thankful because of Jesus that there's no sin that separates us from you. Thankful for Jesus that there's no sin that we can do that outsends your grace. Thankful to Jesus that you continue to pursue us with your love, that you continue to pursue us with your care, that you continue to pursue us so that we might be found and with you forever in heaven. Thank you for loving us that much. Thank you for forgiving our blunders, our mistakes, our rebellions, again and again and again. And thank you for never giving up. We pray that today in Jesus' name and all God's people said.